on your handout, and of course, in relation to the scripture, there are two verses that I want to point out, and they come from the book of Jonah, self-titled and, and authored book of Jonah. Jonah was called to preach in a city that was one of the greatest metropolis um, cities of its time. In fact, Nineveh was probably one of the largest cities in population of that ancient world. The book of Jonah is the oldest book written in the Bible. Um, Jonah wrote it and he proclaimed it. And Jonah will describe his commission from the Lord to preach to a very wicked city. Now there's a plethora of reasons why Jonah would not want to go there. Namely, that they were skilled in torture and imprisonment of people and there is some evidence that Jonah's family or members of his family uh, had suffered at the hands of the leaders of, of Nineveh and of the king. And the Ninevites were very cruel. Uh, they ruled with an iron hand. So Jonah refused the call and boarded a boat going the opposite direction. And of course, God would not take no for an answer. God will not take no for an answer. It's a very interesting thing because I, I know that in some cases um, this has happened, but it's interesting to me when God doesn't take no for an answer. And Jonah attempted the great escape from the realm of the heavenlies, which of course is impossible. And God sent a great tempest and the sea billowed and the seaworthy fishermen and travelers, the sailors, were afraid for their life. They felt it was some God that was angry, some spirit. They were throwing their cargo overboard to save themselves. And when they came down to it, they knew they were going to die because the sea was unrelenting because God wouldn't take no for an answer. And finally, Noah confesses to them, but the men are so kind, they still do not wish him harm. He confesses that he is the reason for their impending death. And still, they are very kind men. And then Jonah says to them, throw me overboard and you'll survive. And they are somewhat reluctant, but they do so. Now the waters will subside and Jonah will be swallowed up by a whale. He'll spend three nights in the belly of the whale. It was the sign of the crucified Christ in the belly of the earth. In fact, Jesus will make reference to it as a type and shadow as Jonah was in the belly of a whale, so the Son of Man shall be also three days. So there's layered meaning in it. But indeed, one of the great conflicts here is that Jonah has failed to obey God. 
And he writes, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. Can you imagine in the belly of a great whale? To the roots of the mountains I sank down. This is, of course, in the ocean or the depth. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Or they, it, it surrounded me and I was gone. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. What a great failure that Joan experienced. And to grow from it uh, would take a level of maturity. I, I stand here to tell you, I'm not sure that Jonah grew from his failure, but he did, for a moment, obey God. I just wanted to point out today that the great patriarchs of old have all failed. Every one of them have failed. Abraham failed when he disobeyed God by taking unto him Hagar, the, the maidservant, and having a son. Isaac will fail also. He, he has multiple issues. He's, got, he's got really got mama issues, Isaac. He's got some faithless issues. The great issue of Isaac is that he showed favoritism to his sons and he created a division among his sons because the Bible says that Isaac loved Esau and and his wife and Rebekah loved loved Jacob. This is a dysfunctional family. Jacob disobeyed God. He's the subplanter, the deceiver. And he does various things in failure. But they grew from that. I, I don't know what your story would be, but if, if, if there had to be an honest report of your life, the chances are that not only would you be exposed, but you probably want want people to know. Um, I wouldn't want people to know all the details of my life, but we get to read everything about Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, and all the kings. Hezekiah was so great, except at the end. How do you grow from failure? Everyone will have failure. This is, this is a, a good topic for me because most of what I've learned has come through failure. In fact... If I knew right now as a pastor, if I'm sorry, if I knew 22 years ago what I know right now as a pastor, I would have made a lot less mistakes. But thanks be to God, I am still alive, barely, and I've learned. I've had to grow through failure. You can grow through multiple ways. You can, you can grow through learning or reading or second or third hand information but your greatest teacher is the one that comes from inside when you learn what to do now there are a few ways to learn deductive ways there's a you know you 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 learn that way and um that's, that's not always good. Sometimes you, you, you go through a series of things and you try them, try, fail, try, fail, until you get to the thing that succeeds. Or you can do what I did and just watch my brother. And if it worked for him, I'm in. And if it didn't, I'm not exactly sure what to say to mom, but that wasn't it. And uh, these are things that we learn. I want to just describe to you six layers, and none of these are exhaustive. So you might have 
more than I've written. These are six levels of failure. The first level is temporary. It's a temporary failure. And everyone fails temporarily. You ran through the stoplight. It's temporary. The police pulled you over. It's a fine, but you're going to go on. Your life's not over, ladies and gentlemen. It's not over. Now, many people get stuck and they get depressed on temporary failures because they think it's a really tough thing. I love the scripture and this just a little word and says, and this too shall pass. This too shall pass. Sometimes I've had to say to myself, and this too shall pass. Because there are issues in life where you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail at something, but this too shall pass. I remember being distraught over, over a grade that I had. It wasn't a good grade. I studied hard. It wasn't what I wanted. But this too shall pass. Today, I only can remember the feeling of, of, fe- of being sad that I got a bad grade. But I don't remember what the subject was. This too shall pass. Temporary. There are temporary things in your life. Do not make the temporary into something that is not. Uh, the old adage, don't make a mountain out of, molehill, out of a molehill. They're temporary. And I don't need a show of hands, but I wonder who would be honest and just say, don't, don't raise your hand. Um, you said the wrong thing. You replied the wrong way. You answered in the wrong fashion, with the wrong spirit. You took something the wrong way, and later on you figured out that that's not what you should have said. Um, There is a level you can fail, and it's temporary failure. But it's not eternal failure. And one of the things that we have to do as adults is to help guide young people and children out of their temporary failures. It's not forever. Our response to other people is very important because people make mistakes. And when I, when I am working with uh, someone who's new to the Lord, new to the faith, new to the church, um, this grips them often that because they make a mistake and then they feel maybe they're unworthy. Um, I, I'm very quick to make sure that I that I dismiss that spirit, that feeling. No, you're not unworthy. We all err. We all err. Everyone makes an error. And we could call that a failure if we want to, but, but you've got to grow from that. You just remember, maybe I won't do that again. The second level of failure is extended. It's not temporary. It doesn't dissipate, but it's extended. It has longer consequences. It takes... A longer time to resolve some of the things that people get into. It takes a while to resolve. Now, I don't mean to, to uh, minimize the word failure, but some of us have bought things that we wish that we had not bought. Some folks buy cars that you should not have purchased, and you have an extended, you are dealing with the problem for five to six years and you really have not done your homework and you bought a lemon or you bought something you shouldn't, you shouldn't have bought or you thought you were getting a great deal on eBay and come to find out um, uh, it, it really wasn't an Apple phone. It was a pineapple phone. Uh-huh. And these things are extended. It takes a while to get out of that. Yes, you failed. And now you have 
a judgment of the law against you. People come to church that are still dealing with judgments against them in criminal courts. That doesn't mean that their life is over. They're going to start again. But you might have to serve your time or probation or do your fine or do your community service. That's okay. Come on, we're walking with God. There'll be many people go to heaven from prison. Don't think that that's, it's an extended issue when they get out. And some of the things that you, that you are involved in might be an extended issue. But there will be a resolution. And those two uh, levels can be dealt with. It takes a little bit of clarity and some encouragement. Some people sign on to a job. And they sign the job and they got a bonus. And they have to stay for a certain amount of, of time. And it, it was not a good choice, but you follow through with it. Um, I think that this is important for us to recognize there is a difference between the two, but they, neither of them are forever. The third one is permanent. It's a stain. You have to continually manage it. Well, how is that, Pastor? Forgiven, but it's a failure and it's permanent. Now we'll talk about it. There's a, only a handful of these things in life. Some sins are without the body. The Bible says some, well, what does that mean? You can lie and you can cheat and that's a sin. And you can ask for forgiveness. But to commit adultery, though both of them are sins, one is permanent. It never goes away. David said, my sin is ever before me. Never went away. The kingdom was destroyed. It never went away. Forgiven, yes. But there are some things you'll never get away from. Never. I say this with, with great concern. Great concern. And the, one of the horrible concerns was when a pastor talked to me, he, he's, a, he's a very brilliant man, and he told me of a situation of a young boy and a young girl, and the boy was one month before age. In that state, I think it was 17 or 18, one month, and they, they, they shared some, some pictures. And they were, they were sharing some pictures of themselves. And one parent turned it into to the law. And one month before he turned of age, he has now had to, to register as an offender. It's not going away. It's not going to go away. It's a mark on him. This is what's happening in America today. People are flagrant. Because we've been lied to that sex outside of marriage is a good thing. It's not a good thing. It never goes away. When people are united in marriage, it's like gluing two pieces of paper together. You become, the Bible says you become one flesh. When that tears, there's pieces of you that are missing and pieces of that other person that's on you. That's the scripture. No one wants to talk about these things. You can't manage that. I'm sorry, you, can, you have to manage that afterwards. And you have to manage it every day. That's right. I'm on, the, I'm on a boat 
in the middle of the Caribbean, and I'm talking to a, a gentleman who used to be uh, uh, used to used to have a certain position. It was a very good thing that he had. And I said, "Well, how, how is it that you're not?" It, it's odd, you know. I, I'm I'm on the I'm, I'm we're on this boat years ago, and 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 we're walking down the 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 the, the deck, and someone yells out, "Brother Harpole." This is not always pleasant words to hear. And the, 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 the lady and her husband came up to me and said, Oh, I, I remember you when you were singing with a group. And then her father was talking to me. And then later on we had coffee and he sat down with me and we talked. And I said, Well, man, you were doing so good. And, and, and where are you? What are you doing now? Well, I'm just helping. I said, Well, are you, are you, are you leading? No, I'm just helping. And then he said to me, Years ago, I made a mistake. I failed. The Lord forgave me. My wife forgave me. My children forgave me. He said, but I identify with, with David. My sin is ever before me. Now he's got to manage that the rest of his life. This should make us very sober about what we're doing with our bodies, with our lives, with our families, with our children. And if you don't hear it from me, you'll hear it from no one. Nobody's going to tell you this. They're going to tell you, oh, don't worry about it. People all make mistakes. Yes, but they're not all the same. Some are temporary. You you run the red light. Some are extended. You bought a bad car. But there are some that never, ever go away. Don't fool around with that. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Tammy. I got one... I got, I, got, I got one. She should amen her own material. Maybe. Number four is living in sin. This denotes a lifestyle of disobedience. It's actively living in sin. You know what to do, but you're not doing it. You know what's right, but you shrug and say, you're just, the lifestyle of sin is a continual failure. You know, it's the difference between someone who's trying. Are you trying or no? So this is a continual failure. So I would say, get out of that. No, you can't. Try your best. Get out of all that. And don't give yourself an excuse. Don't say everyone's doing it. Don't do that. Don't, don't allow yourself access, but change your life. And you can change it. And you have to do everything you can to do it. And then number five is a carnal value system. This is another, this is a very deep level of, of failure. It's a carnal value system. Now this is not necessarily just for the unbeliever. But this is a very tricky thing. Because people that call themselves believers are often in a carnal value system. They're carnal. And you may not even recognize how far away you are from purity and righteousness. But you have a carnal value system. So don't, don't, don't think that because you're not actively living in sin that you're okay. The carnal value system is very subtle. I'll, I'll give you this thought. The, the children of Israel, they escaped two different regimes. One was Egypt and the other ones was the other one was Babel or Babylon or Persia. It was easier to get out of Egypt, believe it or not, because in, 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 in Persia, they, 
they were allowed to worship. But in Egypt, they were not allowed to worship. So in Egypt, Moses said, give us a three-day journey so we can go make a sacrifice. And Pharaoh said, oh, no. But, but when they were in prison for 70 years, and it wasn't bars. See, there, there is a prison without bars that's worse than the prison with bars. And it's the value system that we adopt. So the church, or people who say, I believe in Jesus Christ, you can say you believe in, and you can believe in God. But if you're carnal, you're living according to a different value system. And eventually, it, kept, it catches up with you, always. And so, of course, I could talk about the world, and I could talk about the unbeliever, but really I'm talking about, I'm talking about people who, who worship, clap their hands, but they're still... You know, you, you love the Lord, but what is your value system? This is a continual failure, but it's very, it, it, it's cloaked. It's a shadow. And I want to be very careful that I'm not consumed. I don't remember how many barges they said was off the coast of California, but there's, there are perhaps hundreds of, of barges, and on those barges there are thousands of big containers filled with all the stuff that we all want to buy for Christmas. And so there's news out, get your Christmas presents now because you probably won't be able to get them come, uh, come Thursday, Black Friday, or, or Cyber Monday. So if you really need to get all that stuff, go get it. I know some of you don't have room, so I would, I would also urge you, go ahead and rent two more storage facilities so that you can house more stuff and build a shed, by the way, so that you can house all that stuff after Christmas. You can put it in more containers that you need to go buy from Menards and Lowe's. There's a lot of stuff that you need. Now, if you took me very serious, that was, that was a lace with just massive sarcasm, and I want you to do the opposite of what I just told you. <laughs> he told me. Um, this idea that we have to have more stuff, that we're fulfilled by the things that we hold in our hands, or how we look all the time. How we look. I, I think we should be clean, we should be presentable, we should look good take care of our bodies as the temple of the Holy Ghost, but people are consumed with the image. They're consumed with it. And all of that is based in a value system that's not of God. I want to know, how do I look to God? I'm going to give you a big one. Are you ready? It's a big one. There's a lot of Pentecostals that will not wear excessive jewelry, but they've never adorned a meek and quiet spirit. They put on ugliness, forwardness. They put on aggressiveness. I, I am in the book, ladies and gentlemen. Do not give yourself a pass. I'm talking about a carnal value system. I have known people who have sat in church all their lives and are as carnal as they ever have been. So this is a failure, and it's a failure of the flesh. You should just write that down. It's a failure of the flesh. And then, and then the final one, the sixth level of failure, is the autonomous disposition. Answer to no one. And it starts with these two words, I thought, I thought, I thought. This is the answer of King Saul when the prophet said, now don't keep any of the Amalekites. You kill all of them, kill all those animals. Why would he say that? See, for the American mind, we think, oh, that's just terrible. Well, the Amalekites were a band of guerrilla terrorists. They would kill, 
They would plunder. They would, they would molest. They would steal. They didn't even grow crops. They didn't even raise cattle or sheep. They took everything, and they didn't even have slaves. They killed everyone, men, women, children, everyone. They had no mercy. And God said, do not keep them alive. And don't keep anything that they have. But Saul kept Agag the king and probably some of his royal family and also some, he said, the best of the sheep. And when Samuel came, he said, what's that bleeding in my ears, the baying? And here comes the autonomous man. I thought, I thought, my mother has taught me the most dangerous person in the room is the autonomous person. They answer to no one. This is the failure of immense proportion. It's the deepest because it is part of the core that originated from the get-go. We will do whatever we want to. It's the spirit of the age. It's the ascension of Lucifer to the throne. I will ascend. I am my own God. Dear saints, we need the Lord. We need the word. And the mere fact that you are sitting here tonight shows you and me, it shows yourself that we are hungry for the word and we love it. And we don't want to live in that way. We don't want to have that autonomous spirit. And I pray that God would help me every day. I want to just show you a few effects of the unguarded. There, if you read a little lower, Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. The word keep comes from, uh, from the Hebrew word, and it has a couple of variations of it, but in, but in short, it's to guard or to protect, or to build a wall or a fence, um, to guard, to keep to guard. So it's like ADT, or it's like you're, you're, you know, some kind of a guard dog, or a, a wall, or a fence, or some barrier. So guard it, keep it, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. From the abundance of the mouth, I'm sorry, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Bible says. So if someone talks for a long period of time, eventually they'll start telling you what's in their heart. If you let someone talk for a long period of time, eventually they'll, they'll, they'll get around to whatever is in their life. And, uh, uh, that's because it's in their heart or the core, their makeup of their life. So what did, what did Solomon say? He said, guard that. Do it with all diligence. If there's anything to guard, it should be your heart. And so you have to guard what goes in. Even the Bible says it's not what goes, comes out that defiles you, but it's what goes in that defiles you. Think about that. What's defiling you is what you're putting inside of your life. What are you allowing inside of your life? What are you allowing inside of your heart, your mind, your eyes? Failure is often forecasted by what we are hearing and what we are seeing. Hmm. So let me just tell you about the effect of the unguarded. First, it has an effect on the physical, the body. The physical. This is a very... It's a very common thing, but I would say to you, take care of yourself. It's good. Take care of yourself. Do your best. Take care of yourself. Um, respect what God gave you. When we were young, 
my mother got a Ford Granada, a 1975 Ford Granada. It was silver and had a red vinyl top. Now, it was many, many years old, but Dad got it on sale, as all of our cars, he got on sale. And Mom named all of her vehicles. So, the Ford Granada, her name was Nellie, and um, Mom called her Nellie. And, of course, my brother, Scotty, uh, he, he would say, now, Mom, why do you call her Nellie? And Mom would get in the car, and she'd rub the dashboard, and she'd say, boys, you've got to take care of Nellie. Well, you know, we, we didn't know what she was talking about. And, you know, that, that meant, you know, you don't spin out, you check the oil and you, you clean, you clean Nellie up. And, and, um, and mom started to teach us when we were young, um, respect your car, respect it and honor it and, and cherish it. And of course, you know, we laughed, you know, we laughed, we laughed, we laughed. And, uh, that didn't really hit us until, until, uh, we had our own vehicles and and uh, realized that cars need oil they, they they require oil, not just gasoline and you know the failure in not putting oil in a car uh, it'll it 'll hit you at the wrong time you know and uh, then you'll you 'll pray and you 'll say, "God, why is the devil attacking me?" And, uh, and my life is so horrible. And, and, you know, I've been under spiritual attack all day. And, and the demons have come. And look what they've done to my car. They, they didn't do anything. Uh, this is an absence of Pennzoil uh, Mobile One. It has nothing to do with Jesus or the devil or hell or, or what you've done wrong in your life. In fact, let me just tell you, God's not getting back to you by making your car blow up. He's not. The Lord has other ways, but he don't need to destroy your engine or your transmission to do that. Now listen, I've learned this stuff through testimony service when I was young because people used to stand up and tell us how terrible the how terrible life was and the devil was was after them because their car had failed. And we don't have that anymore because um, we don't hear that anymore because I don't actively allow people to stand up and give glory to the devil. Your body is is a temple of the Holy Ghost and you gotta put something in it and care for it. That's right. But Sometimes we don't think that way, and, and we don't realize we need rest. We need quiet time. We need meditation time. We need Bible time. There should be a time in your home when you don't have a radio on, and certainly you don't have any media on, and it should be still. There should be a time when you relax. Um, when, when we were young, we had to put our shirts on to come to the table, Dad would not allow us to come to the table without a shirt on. Now, yes, we argued about that. Once again, mostly Scott argued about that. And the Lord knows this is true. But he's not here to defend himself, so that's his own fault. But now, our kids wear shirts, but they bring their phones to the table. And that's when we say, no, we're not going to have your phone at the table. There are times when we have to stop, pause, and relax, and not just enjoy life, but to be concerned about our own body. God gave you that body. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's a reason why we do not, uh, we do, we, we, we do not condone illicit drugs. None of those drugs or their names are mentioned in the scripture. Well, how do we know that that's wrong? Because the Bible says 
that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So we, we deduce the principle of not, of not putting a foreign substance in our body that will hurt us. Now you might say to me, well, pastor, I don't do that. However, we're doing other things that we think are permissible, but they have very similar effects. And we're failing ourselves. Here's number two. How about the emotional part, the heart? I'm, not, I'm talking about the emotional things. You cannot ingest all the highs and lows of everything that happens around you. You can't take on the burdens of other people. Now, right now, we, we, no one can go anywhere without hearing about a, a couple that took a road trip. And it's everywhere on every news channel and all the newspapers and all the websites. And for whatever reason, I'm not even engrossed in it. Lord knows how many people have been killed in the period of time since this broke, this news broke. But everyone is concerned and everyone wants to know about where, where is this guy and how did his fiance or girlfriend die? And you can get emotionally wrapped up. People do this all the time. Emotionally wrapped up into things and stories you have no control over. And your emotions are spent. And by the time, that's just one thing. I mean, we're not even talking about NASCAR, football, basketball, sporting leagues, baseball. We're not even talking about your favorite soccer team. We're not even talking about things you can't control. We're talking about highs and lows. There are churches in Ohio that if the Buckeyes lose, everyone's sad. I've been there. I mean, the joy of the Lord is gone. What happened? Where, where did God go? And all the men are crying at the altar. They're not even repenting. They should be. You have a lim- Here, pastor, you have a limited emotional reservoir. Limited. Your, your emotional reservoir, your emotional heart it is not infinite it will tap out have you ever been where where you where you're so sad you cried you have no more tears to cry and you're so sad you just you're numb you get numb i've been there before where where i'm so so broken so sad so heartbroken and tears are no longer there because you're you don't have enough Emotion to spend on the right thing. And we are wasting our emotion. And we're failing because we're not guarding our emotions. I would just say there's no need to know any more about that, that American story about the, the young man who's missing and the young girl who passed away. The only thing we do is pray for the families involved. That's all we can do. But to be emotionally wrecked by all those things. Do you know what news is? News is an entertainment site. All news is entertainment. They're vying for ratings, just like sitcoms. And they need to tell you things that you don't like so that you can have an emotional response to it. News today, news is not the trans... Oh. News is not the transfer of information. News is an... in News has become... A device for ratings to take your emotion from you. And the church gets so emotional in things going on. We have no burden for the lost. We're not talking about people that are going to hell. We're not talking about people that are suffering and don't know God. 
and have no light and don't know anything about the cross, never heard of the blood. You know why? Because we've been watching the news and we can say, well, it's not, I just like to stay abreast. It is exactly like a sit, like, like a soap opera as the world burns, turns. All my children, I don't even know these things. I just read the title. I don't know. General Hospital. Wait. I had to learn this stuff. You know, a trivial pursuit. You got to know all the kind of stuff. I just tried to learn all the, all the answers. Guard your heart. Guard your emotions, ladies and gentlemen. There's a failure that happens every time when our emotions are not in check. Guess what else gets out of hand? Lust gets out of hand because we're not centered on the things of God. Oh my, I'm, I'm going to run out of time too quick tonight. Number three is relational. It needs to be guarded. There's an effect when there's no guard on our relationships. You have to guard your relationships. I'm guarding my relationship first with my wife. She guards me. Tammy and I guard each other. I'm trying to guard the relationships of my children. And we have to do that carefully. Some of you uh, that have small babies are small children, and you think it's very, very hard. We did too. We thought we didn't know what we were going to do. We had Roman. We had four or five people helping us. We had one child, and then, and then we had Reagan, and we had two children, and then Alexandra was 13 months later. Tammy had little baby Reagan on one hip, and she was about to have Alexandra, and we were in over our head, and by the time Nico came around, we don't know, we don't, we don't know who actually has been taking care of him, but he's, he is 14 now, so praise God. Um, relationships have to be guarded. You have to guard your relationships. And sometimes you have to guard relationships that you have, that you want to keep, and others, you, re- you guard a relationship so that, um, so that nothing interrupts it <laughs> by things and by people maybe that you should not have a relationship with. Just so you know, anyone can come to New Life or to any church. Anyone. Now, there may be a couple of reasons why people should not come to a particular church, but those are very, very small. And just because someone walks in this building does not mean that, that they can be trusted. You've got to be very careful. Because not everyone is positive. Not everyone speaks well. Some are gossipers. Some are complainers. And you've got to be careful. And if you have a relationship with someone who's like that, that brings you down, be very careful. Guard yourself. Guard yourself. I'm going I'm to say something now. I'm not trying to be ugly. But not everyone has the same standards in their home. So if you allow your child to go to their home because they both attend new life, be very careful. That could be a dangerous thing. Your standards may be a lot higher. They may allow things on their TV that or their movies or their videos or their games that you don't allow. And you can say, well, we all go to the same church. Yes, we all go to the same church, but not everybody listens to the same sermon. <laughs> I better move on because I don't want to meddle here. How about mental? This is a, the unguarded mind. There's a mental duress, the unguarded mind. You know, if, you don't, if you're not careful, you can open yourself up to things that you should not think 
You should not do, you should not say the unguarded mind. Let me just tell you about this season in America with, with the plethora, the thousands of, of literatures and Halloween and the, the ghosts and the devils and the demons and the spirits. And there's just some things you shouldn't open up. Why would you do that? Why would you invite the devil into your home? You know, get a good scare, get some goosebumps. You don't even know what you just opened up. You might have opened up a door to a spirit world that your family can't handle and it attacks your mind. And then you say, well, I don't know what's happening right now. Well, I'll tell you what's happening. You opened up a door to something. Would you bring in a Ouija board? Would you do a seance? If you wouldn't do a seance in your living room, why would you have it on your TV screen? I don't understand what happened to... I don't understand what happened to the Christian world. We've invited all this stuff. We're supporting all of it. Be very careful. It's a big difference dressing up like Jonah or whatever. You can even dress up like Lazarus. I don't know. You don't even have to dress up at all. I'm just saying there's something wrong when we open up our minds to things and then we're attacked in our mind. There's nothing hollow about Halloween. There's nothing healthy about demonic spirits. It's not just that. There's other things that we read. Well, I don't like Halloween, but I just like romance books. Yes, really? There's a lot of ladies that like romance books. In fact, the research shows that 90% of the romance books are bought by women unless their husbands are buying them a gift. Sounds like 100% or close to 99%. And so you're filling your mind with this dream man because the man you have, he ain't that handsome. This is a, there's a mental attack because of what we fed ourselves. And then number five is the spiritual attack. And that's when we open up things in our lives, this demonic attack, spiritual attack. Of course, that's because there's many reasons. I, 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 I can't even get down into this. But, but if you're not under an umbrella, a spiritual authority, of course, if you, if you have no one, if you have no one you answer to, if you have no one that has the veto power in your life, then you're open to something else. Here's what the Bible says. If the good man knew what hour the, the, the thief was going to come, he didn't know. He was bound up. Because if you are immoral or you're living an immoral life, you lose your moral authority to speak to your family and your children. You're not leading. Men and women, you're not leading. And you've got to lead because you've got to protect against spiritual attack. And there will be spiritual attack. There is demonic attack. I'm not talking about an engine now. I'm not talking about a lack of oil in your car motor. I'm talking about real spiritual division. There is a, there is a dark spirit in this world. I'm, I, I got on the plane. I went to three places on one trip. And I'm telling you, the moment I left and got in the air, the Bible says that, that there's principalities and spirits, rulers of the darkness. So it... It describes the spirit world like a, like a map, just like the United States. You know, you have a, you have a state, you have a boundary lines, you have cities, you have boundary lines, counties. This is exactly what the spirit world is, where the devil has powers in different places and different spirits rule those regions. When I got up in the air, I had my Bible. I, it was a wonderful time with God. And then while I was reading, something came over me. It was such a dark thing. And I, we landed in Salt Lake City because I had to switch planes. And there was such darkness there. 
I got into that airport to change planes, and I felt a heaviness. It was a heavy thing. I, I, we went back up in the air, and it, 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 it was alleviated. I, just, I, I, I tried to put it on my mind until we were flying over Seattle, had to get to Seattle. And when I went to Seattle, the Lord spoke to me and said, it's a spirit of secularism. And it was very, very heavy. It was a heavy spirit of secularism. And, and we went from there and then went right into San Francisco. And when I flew into San Francisco, there was this, there was this dark, it, it felt like it, I was standing in, in a mire of, of mud and, and black, dark used oil from an engine and, and, and I couldn't move. The three cities, I felt spiritual warfare in three different places. Let me just tell you, there is a spiritual fight everywhere in this world and there is a spiritual battle in this city. The difference between those and here is that God has given me dominion and power to do what I'm doing right here and I've broken a lot of those spirits and you've broken those spirits and the church has here but when I go into those other cities I'm not prepared for that and I've been taught I'm, 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 I'm not a prophet but I've been taught these things and now I know how to identify them I didn't I couldn't fully identify uh, Salt Lake City until I talked to a prophet and he told me that is the dark spirit of religion it's mirrored in fact it's very close to to the revelation of Jesus Christ, and that's why it is it is an anti-Jesus Christ, anti-Messiah. And so he described it for me. You have to guard yourself because you do not know there is a spiritual attack against you. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, all you have to do is that. There's going to be an attack against you. If you go further, there's more attacks against you and your family. Don't play around with the spirit world. Don't play around with that. You don't want any part of that. You talk about failure, there'll be a big failure in your life. And, and it's hard to grow from that. Difficult because you're not guarded. See, if I'm guarded, I can grow. If I'm unguarded, it's impossible for me to grow. I can have all kinds of trouble, but if I've been guarded, I can grow from it. I think now, you got a garden. You put a fence around the garden. There are elements that come Something's wrong with the soil. We can fix that. But there's some things that we cannot fix because we're not guarded. We did not put a fence around it. So now I want to talk to you a little bit about this word, I will not grow. This is, this is the response that often happens. And the reason why people say they will not grow is because of environment. They have failed to learn how to learn. You, some people need to learn how to learn. It's like learning how to study, learning how to use a concordance, learning how to put something together. To learn how to learn is a person without a ceiling. But environment often inhibits people from learning how to learn. And they'll say, not verbally, but they'll say, I will not grow because they've hit the ceiling. Number two is perception. Because they think every, every tragedy or conflict is a judgment against them. That pain is a judgment against me. And they don't realize that some things happen to us so that we can grow. God sends us things just so we can grow. To be pruned is not pleasant. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. To be pruned is not always pleasant. But to prune something actually gives it more life and more fruit. But if your perception is that, oh, I'm hated... No, you just didn't understand. 
Number three is arrogance. And, and I, I want you to remember this. Arrogance is a person who will not hear or heed. Not hearing or heeding. I know it all. I got it. You don't have to teach me anything. I've been there. Yes, you, you've been there and you may go back there again. Because when you fail the lesson, God is so good to you, he'll put you through the test again. He loves to put people through the same course over and over again. I'm ready to graduate from some of my courses. I'm done failing. I'd like to grow from that so I don't have to go back to the course. If the best four years of your life was ninth grade, then perhaps it's time to grow from failure. This was a joke, so I, 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 I didn't garnish anything, but of course I've told it many times. I have to get some new material. An arrogance, a lack of honesty is, exists here because pride often comes to the service when when people fail, fail and they'll just make some kind of statement that perhaps there's nothing to learn here and there's always something to learn. And then number four is lethargy. It's the nonchalant approach to life, lethargy. It's a major problem in our world. Sometimes when people fail, they just hide. And I don't, I'm not trying to be mean-spirited here. I just want, want you to know laziness has caused Many people to die. Too lazy to learn. Too lazy to get better. Too lethargic to find nuggets of wisdom. Too lazy to... Hold on a second. Don't let your spirit say, I won't grow. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I won't grow. And then finally is rebellion. And this aspect revolves around anger, bitterness, resentment, rebellion. Of course, the result is to reject any reason to grow. People see a conflict or they see trouble or they, they fail and they become angry. Sometimes people fail and they just become angry at everyone else, angry at themselves, bitter. Or they experience a failure and they become angry. I will not grow. Now, the Lord has given us something. He, he has... He has offered us something. He gave us a spirit. It was not the spirit of fear. Now the spirit of fear is not the Holy Spirit. It's not a demonic spirit. It's a human spirit. It's a human spirit. And it's transferable. Now there is a spirit of fear that the devil can implant, but there is a spirit of fear that, can, that is transferred from person to person. He didn't give you that. He gave you of power means a spirit of power. So if you're reading Second Timothy 1 and 7, it, it, it has to be read like this. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of, that means spirit. So it's not going to repeat the word spirit. A spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of a sound mind. So if, as you're reading this, this is a disposition he has given us. We have to accept it and receive it. It's a gift. So I want to know, how am I going to grow through failure? How do I grow? I can remember I, I, I bought a brand new custom-made Yamaha soprano saxophone. There's about 5,000 people in the audience. It's my turn to, to play. I don't know why, but I thought I'm going to buy a, a uh, a size three reed. I'm going to play it. I had not played that reed. I had not. I, I had switched horns, and I'm up and I'm ready. And everything was going so well until 
I squeaked one of those notes, and man, that soprano squeaking note, note, it, 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 it ruins, it ruined most of the hearing aids, and it destroyed several eardrums in the crowd. I was so embarrassed, and I got through the piece, and I'm sweating, and, and somebody on my way out said, that was okay. You, you're, you'll, you'll be okay. And I wish they hadn't said that, but, but of course, uh, what a, I thought, what a dummy, you know, man, I just blew it right there. I failed and, and I shouldn't have tried something new. I, I, you know, when you're going to try something new, try it at home. Try it at home when nobody, if you want to sing a part, uh, go to your restroom and sing. And then if it turns out you think it's good, then go sing it in front of your dog. And if your dog start howling, then don't sing that anymore. <laughs> don't ask your mom she'll never tell you the truth um, I, to grow through failure just meant I had to get up again and do it again and I did play that piece a thousand more times and trust me when I tell you I didn't use that same size reed I went back to two and a half <laughs> I made sure it was a Vandora. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. You know, I made sure I was warmed up. I knew that's what I was supposed to do. It's interesting, you know, you go to the orchestra, and if you ever go to a, to a symphony or hear the orchestra, when you get in there, all the musicians are playing. They're all playing. It's playing and playing and playing. It's a racket. When I was a little kid. I went to that, and they were all playing. I'm like, this is chaos. I hate this. And then the, the conductor comes, he taps, and everyone stops. And I'm thinking, you ruined it already. They didn't ruin it. They're warming up so that when they actually start to play, they're ready. But you don't always get there. Sometimes you fail. How am I going to grow through failure? First, number one, thank God for his goodness every time you fail. Just thank the Lord for, he, for he's good. Don't think about who you are or what you've done. Thank God because he's good. Don't internalize everything that you do wrong. Thank God. You're a child of the Lord. Thank the Lord. I thank you, Lord, because you're good. Well, what does that have to do with it? It, it, has, it has everything to do with it because still, I still belong to God, and he's good to me. He's still good to me. You failed? Okay. Thank God he's good to me. Don't think they're not connected. Because you've got to reset your heart. You've got to get up off of the floor. You've got to pick yourself up. And the way you do it is to put an identification on who he is and who you are. How do we pray, Lord? Here's how you pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The moment you, this is, the Lord's prayer is really the disciples' prayer. It's a pattern prayer. It's not really something that we should re necessarily repeat, although it's a beautiful song and it's a beautiful prayer. It's a pattern prayer. Really, it should be called the disciples' prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer. He gave it as an example. And the example is you start with this recognition of God. When you fail or when you succeed, you recognize God. When you come or when you go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord. Stop right there. Because you've recognized the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord. Our God is one Lord. The Jews call it the Shema. The Shema. Say that when you get up in the morning. Say that when you're walking by the way. Say that when you're sitting down. Say that when you go to bed. The recognition, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Why do they do that? Because it is a, it is a, it is a dismissal of me and a recognition of him. When I fail, 
I first recognize him. I don't, I don't have to give you anything more than just the first three words of the Bible. And if you can get the first three words of the Bible, you got it made. But we don't remember the first three words. In, in the beginning. No, that's more than three words. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Four words. I'm sorry, my math is bad. In the beginning, God. And that's it. Don't even go any further than in the beginning, God. If you can get that, the recognition of God, every time you fail, you say, Lord, you're good. I love you. Your mercy endures forever. A daily thanks in times of heartache is the path forward. Everyone say forward. That means it's a progressive movement towards healing. Thanking God is the antibody to a bitter spirit and to an angry spirit and to an angry heart. Antibodies help your natural immune system get over the sickness. Thankness, thankfulness helps you. Thank God for the church. Thank God for what you have. Thank God for your home. Thank God that he's great. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank the Lord for the scripture. Thank the Lord that you can, that, that, that you can think and you can, you can rationa- rationalize. Thank God that you have the acuteness to understand what is being preached and taught. Thank the Lord. This is, I, I, I feel a little inhibited because I know this could be elementary to some. Well, that doesn't, that's, that's, no, 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 no. This is the key. You enter with thanksgiving. You enter with thanksgiving. Wherever he is, wherever I'm going, I enter with thanksgiving. If you only enter the church with thanksgiving, then you, then you fail to recognize that, that his tabernacle, oh, it's here. I am the tabernacle. I am the temple. I'm moving towards healing. How do you grow? You grow by recognition of the Lord. Listen, I'm I'm not talking tonight in terms of um of the American mindset. I'm I'm not talking in terms of of our societal um uh, prerequisites to to bettering yourself. Um uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the spiritual person that you are. I'm talking about how you, specifically you, get up from failure and grow. And number two, now this number two has come from many years. It's not necessarily research, it's just being with people. Number two, when you fail, confess out of your mouth that you should not be alone, that you need other people, and you need someone to help you. Because when people fail, one of the first things they do is say, I'm just going to hide, I'm going to get into a cave, I'm not coming out. Now I'm not talking about airing dirty laundry. I'm not talking about walking around telling everybody what you did wrong. We don't, we don't need to hear all that stuff. I'm not talking about being a bleeding heart, but surrounding yourself with stable people who will encourage you and are able to speak direction into your life. You need the church body. When I say surround yourself with people, I'm not talking about worldly people or carnal people or people who don't know God. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about surround yourself. If you mess up on, 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 on anything, you get back into this house and you don't quit church and you don't quit God and you don't quit the people of God. You know how you grow? You get back up and you go right back at it again. 
You fall down, you get back up. The Bible says the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. But you didn't think he was right, righteous, but the Bible called him righteous. Even Peter said this of Lot, that he was a righteous man vexed. Whew. That's hard for me to see. But Peter said Lot, who didn't even want to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, that was a right, he was vexed. His spirit was numb. He wasn't doing right. Why? Why did Peter say that? Because Peter had a clear understanding what it's like to fall down and get back up again. Come on, he's the man who said, I never knew him. But Peter grew enough to stand and preach the first message to the new church. Now you talk about someone who knows how to grow from failure. Nobody knows how to grow from failure like Peter because Peter was proficient in failure. Amen. And number three, submit. It's a big, big word, submit. It's an uncomfortable word. It's not a welcome word. Submit to spiritual authority. I'm giving it to you right now. We don't have to have a personal conversation. Here it is. I'm giving you the authority of the word of God. Submit to spiritual authority. Do what you understand to do, what the Lord has led you to do. Submit. It's right there in the scripture. The Bible is very clear. And finally, everyone say the word commit. Commit. Now just, you don't commit just anything if you're going to grow. You commit to home disciplines. Can I just tell you, it doesn't all begin and end at the church. Of course, we used to say it all, be, it all begins at Walmart, but it doesn't all begin here. It begins at home. Begin with home disciplines. What are your home disciplines? What do you do at your house? Let me just say this. Whatever you do at your house determines what you do at this house. Your home disciplines. Is the Bible welcomed? Is the Bible read? Is prayer given? Are the principles of godliness exercised in your home? Do you worship the Lord here and cuss at home? Do you give of yourself here, but you offer no love at home? No grace, no mercy. You commit. You commit to something because to get back up and to grow means that you are disciplined in life. My disciplines help me to grow even when I fail because whatever I, whenever I fail, I know I'm just going to go back to my routine and get back into the same things that I knew brought me to this point. Number two, my Bible disciplines. The Bible disciplines are huge because they're without error. That means there's some things that I cannot argue with because God has shown me. They've shown me this. It's not always pleasant. Some of my failure, if I, if I leave out the scripture and just try to be a good person at home... Then, then I'm struggling. I've got to have this word and I've got to follow the word. There's a discipline of the scripture. And we don't have time to go through it because I'm over time. And then finally, there's church involvement. I, I, wanna, I want you to know this. I want you to come to church as often as you can get here. Whatever your work schedule is, I want you to come as often as you can. Tell all your friends and all, your, all the people you love, we've got to go to church on Wednesday nights. We've got to learn on Wednesday nights. It's very important. The foundation of teaching helps us to understand who we're worshiping on Sundays. 
So, but church involvement is very important because you'll grow, you'll grow even when you fail because you're involved. Now, I, I understand uh, all the arguments against it, but I would just say, because some people say, well, you don't have to go to church to be saved. You don't have to go to church. What are you talking about? This is, this is our whole life. You know, it, I, I love it when I, I saw, um, I saw Evan, uh, vacuuming the carpet the other night. I, I thought, this is, this is our life. This is our carpet. This is our house. I don't know if you do that at home, but, but at least now your wife knows you know how to do that if you, you're without excuse. It, it look, this is our life. This is what we do. This is our church. We serve here. We serve one another. Involvement in this area helps us because we're around the, the thing that we've dedicated to God. I know this is just a building, but when you put your time in here, there's multiple things that happen. You're, you grow, even when you fail in your life, you grow. Being present is critical. Being present is important. Coming is important to you. It's important to your family and to your life. Listen, I've, Brother Mooney taught me this years ago. He said, Jeffrey, don't worry about if you buy a book and it's not good. If you find one page, tear that page out, throw the book away, and file the page. It's worth 20 bucks. I was like, man, Brother Mooney, I don't think I can do that. I, I, he said, do it. So I went home, I found a couple books, I found a good page, there's probably some other good pages, but I just found one good page and just, I wanted the experience of just throwing away some books. So I, I tore out about five pages in one book and threw it away, and I threw away about ten books. They're probably all good, I just didn't have the time to read all the rest of the chapters. You know, it's not, that's not what he meant. But, but sometimes when we come to church, we, we, we say, well, I, you know, that, I like that lesson. I like that sermon. You know, I found a little something. I know that's not exactly where I'm at. That's okay. If you, if you come and there's one word that's said, what if a preacher comes and you don't really get that guy? You don't really get that preacher, but he says one thing that helps your life. It's worth it because this is the most important part of living. You're preparing to die. And if you don't die, you're preparing to be raptured. So this is where we get fed and where we learn and where we're sent and where we're empowered and where we're trained. It's not the only place. But involvement, I know that if, if I fail, and I, but if I'll just get back up and be involved and not, and not die with every crisis and not bury myself in my own failure, I know I will grow. Amen. And I have a lot more material, but we're out of time, and I'm going to be respectful of all of your time. The Lord's good. Let's stand together. Thank you. And as you stand, why don't you just lift up your hand to the Lord and just say, Lord, help us to grow. Help us to grow through, through success and pain and mundane and the failure and the things we, we go through in this life. We want to grow internally, Lord, in our spirit, in our mind, in our heart. I pray, let us to grow, Lord, in maturity. Let's, let us to grow into a mature Christian. I pray, Lord, let this church be filled with pillars and people that are rooted and grounded and unmovable. I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. I am excited, so excited about what the Lord is doing in this house. And I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do next. And all the people said amen. I hope that you'll be kind and friendly to one another as you leave. God bless you. You are dismissed in the fear of the Lord.